Today we're going to add to that, unseal the book part two. Amen? So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Isaiah the 29th chapter, uh, I'll turn to the Lord in prayer and we'll just quickly uh, bring you back up to speed as to what we covered last week and then go from there into the next five hours of another subject. But God, be with us now as we open your eternal word. May it all work to your honor and glory. We praise you for how good a God you are, how you can help us, lead us, guide us. You want us to be your children, and just like our children, we want them to be obedient children and walk in the ways we'd have them to walk. We don't want them to embarrass themselves. We don't want them to embarrass us. We don't want them to live haphazardly or even dangerously. So, Lord, we thank you for being our protector and guide just like we are for our children. So help us now as we open your word. May we unseal it, if you would, and learn what's in it for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So last Sunday, we spoke from Isaiah, the 29th chapter, and here we read about a warning for the people in Isaiah the prophet's time. Now, Isaiah the prophet wrote this in 712 B.C., as close as we can figure out the years on what this is. And what, their, uh, what he was writing to them about was their lack of concern for their conditions before God. God had already laid down a lot of rules, if you would, or a lot of things that they needed to, to walk in to be the children of God. And uh, in this particular lack of concern in the realm, if you would, of spiritual hindrances, things that were not working for them to be what they needed to be for God. Now, I titled the message last week, Unseal the Book, and this week I'm just going to put on it a part two. But Isaiah warned the people of God to open their eyes, open their minds, open their hearts to what God was speaking to them through his commandments, through his prophets, through his kings, through his judges, that these people should have been the examples for generations to come on how to be the godly people and the faithful people that serve Almighty God. And because of their unbelief, the scripture says, Mm. In verse 10, Isaiah writes this, For the Lord hath poured out a deep sleep, a spirit of deep sleep, and hath closed your eyes, your prophets and your rulers and your seers hath he covered. The vision of all is become as uh, unto you as the words of a book that's sealed, which men de delivered to one that is learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I cannot, for it is sealed. And the book was delivered to him that was not learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I can't, I'm not learned. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as a people draw nigh with, to, unto me, draw near me with their mouth and with their lips, and honor me, and do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their Fear toward me is taught by the precepts of men. I'm going to have to get some glasses or something. I'm reading 
from memory instead of reading the words. But God is helping us to get to, through this, and he writes that God actually closed their eyes to reality. That's dangerous. I know. I live in a world today where I see people with absolutely no concern about what tomorrow's going to bring for them. Oh, I'm sure they got food in the shelves, and I'm sure they've got their bills and mortgages paid, and I'm sure they're making plans that way, but I'm talking about in their soul, in being right with God, and they're just going on just like no, no care in the world. But here Isaiah tells us that these people have just basically closed their minds to God. And then he gave us the two scenarios. The one was given to a man that was learned or smart fella. Uh, the guys with the PhD, they asked him to read the book, and he said, I can, it's sealed. Then he gave it to the, the redneck that's not educated, like me, and said, read the book. He said, I can't, I'm not learned, I'm not smart enough to do it. Well, when all of this uh, comes to being faithful to God, you need to be uh, not considering how smart you are or how dumb you are. You need to read the Word and let God teach you what's in it. Amen. It's not a consideration of your educational level when it comes to spiritual things and your relationship with God. You don't have to be, have a Ph.D. in theology to get saved. Amen. It has nothing to do with it. Amen. But in, de, in Isaiah's day, they seemed to think that was important. It's a matter of opening your eyes, opening your heart spiritually and walk in the direction the Spirit is leading. Of course, then in verse 13, that part I read to you, because these people give God lip service. They honor me with their mouth and their lips, but their heart is far from me. I heard a pastor say that's giraffe religion. Their mouth and lips way out here, but their heart's way back there. Amen? So they need to get in sync in what's going on. Now, let's fast forward. That just sets the stage for last week. Fast forward in our Bibles from Isaiah 29 at uh, B.C. 712. Move forward to Revelation 5, A.D. 96. And we just covered 800 years there. Let me read to you from Revelation, the fifth chapter. <coughs> Excuse me. Starting in verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the back side, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and loose the seals thereof? Now, in Isaiah's writing, he wanted to know who was smart enough or who wasn't smart enough. Here, we want to find out who's worthy. Amen? No man in heaven nor in earth, nor under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and loose the seven seals thereof. Amen? So here we have it. The vision of this book he's talking about here is one that uh, is given to him 
And uh, John's writing, and it said, And I saw him, John, that's the eye there, saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne. Well, now, who's sitting on the throne? We've got to figure a lot of this out. Because as we study this, we're going to find in Revelation, the first chapter, the first verse, it tells us, well, we'll turn back a couple pages there. Let me just clue you in on what the book of Revelation is about. Revelation 1 and 1, when John got this vision, he said, it's the revelation. Now, remember, that's singular. So when people tell you, do you know what the book of Revelation's plural says? It's not revelation. It's one revelation. All right? Always remember that. Amen. There's not a whole bunch of revelations. It's one. It's the revelation of what? Jesus Christ. All right? Everybody got that? Which God gave unto him to show unto his servant things must shortly, uh, shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it. What signify meant? All right? That's just saying he spoke in spiritual language. Amen? And now, did Jesus do that? Did apostles do that? Did Isaiah do that? Did Adam and Eve do that? Yes. There has always been spiritual language. Why? Because God is a spirit, and we're human beings. When it says God wants to hold your hand, or you want to hold God's hand, God don't have a hand. When it says God's ear is open, God don't have ears. When God speaks through his mouth, he doesn't even have a mouth. He's a spirit. But he uses those to signify a relationship that we as human beings in the flesh can relate to and understand what he's saying to us. Amen? So that's the crossover in language, spiritual language, from the flesh to the spirit. Amen? When Jesus said, when you get saved and get the Holy Spirit, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Well, I had never seen anybody's belly open up and a river of water come flowing out. But he goes on to say, this spake he of the Holy Spirit. So when you get the Spirit of God, he's going to lead you in the path you should go, just like you're following a river of water as it flows down the stream. Amen? I know all of you are canoers, right? You like to go down the rapids. Now, I'm one of those guys that looks for the still, steady water. I'm not into the rapids and the bumpiness. But that's what he's saying. He signified it. Amen? That's what we see when we watch a Walt Disney movie. Right? And Woody the Woodpecker. Mickey Mouse. Amen? They're all in that on that film, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, they're all signifying. Somebody is behind the screen speaking, and the guy makes that mountain move, and you think it's them. Amen? So that's why you buy Mickey Mouse and put him in the back window of your car. All right. All right, God is good. And he says that he wants to signify some stuff. So this whole revelation is a signifying from what we know in the flesh to how we apply it in our spirit. Okay? It's kind of easy to understand when you understand the principle behind how it was written. 
Now the Holy Spirit wrote the whole thing from Genesis to Revelation, so the Holy Spirit knows how to connect the dots if you would. So here we have it in Revelation 5 and 1. He says, I saw in the right hand of him that sat, on the third, he sat, present tense, hmm, that's past tense. Huh. He saw this guy that sat in the past on a throne and a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. Wow, there's a lot there to uncover. Let's see how we can do here. All right? So when we see that, that he sat on the throne, I can tell you who that is right now. But let's take the scriptures and prove it to you through the scriptures. You don't want to know what my opinion is. You want to know what God's opinion is. You want God to unseal the book and teach you through your own eyes, through your own mind, and get it into your own heart what God wants from you or me individually in our walk with God. Amen? So I want you to find out for yourself and get it into your heart uh, of the revelation of Jesus Christ. I've read this revelation and, and read this vision given to the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos, and my heart says that this book teaches us three things about the people of God and how he wants them to walk in his ways. I'm going to give you those three. You might want to get a paper and pencil and write it down so you never forget these. And then you can go home and study it and check me out. And if I'm wrong, come back and tell me. But tell me by the Bible where I messed up. Okay? Number one. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Have any of you ever met him? Face to face? No. He only lived 33 years on the earth. And that was almost 2,000 years ago. So none of us had the opportunity to walk with him. I had a few fellows that did. Um, can I tell you something about those 12 that walked with him? None of them lived very long after he went back to heaven. Amen? Because nobody appreciated what Jesus Christ did, even in his generation. They crucified him. The only one of all the people that followed Christ as apostles or as disciples that we know of, and as history reveals it to us, that died of natural causes was the guy that wrote this vision, John. He's the only one. You know why he died of natural causes? Because he was sent to the Isle of Patmos. The king that sent him there wanted to boil him in oil till he died. I don't know whether they was going to make a stew out of him or what the intent was, throw in some potatoes and, and celery and onions and, and, and have a meal. I don't know. But the reason it didn't work out that he was boiled in oil and died on the Isle of Patmos is the king died before his soldiers could carry out his wishes to kill John on the Isle of Patmos. So while he was there, that just sounds like God to me. God wanted him to be on the Isle of Patmos. That's only about what we would say a couple city blocks is all the bigger that island is. It ain't no big deal. All right? So he was on that island, and while he was there, God said, let me give you a vision. 
And he did. And this is it. It's the vision or the revelation of, first of all, Jesus Christ. Amen? And I could tell you about the list of titles that goes with what Jesus Christ represents. Now, there are, in the Bible, you can go to it. If you've got a King James Version, you could look at 36, 32 in the back of it, and it lists all, the, and it probably doesn't get them all. Did you enjoy the song, Wonderful, Merciful Savior? Amen. The, the, the joyful noise put out some joyful noise for us to hear that more. If you go back, and the next time we sing it, or you get a copy of it, you can count how many different names in that song refer back to Jesus. Counselor, keeper, comforter. All, there's a, I started counting them and I lost track because I didn't want to mess up singing. As beautiful as voice I have, I wanted you to hear it. But I think I got up to like 14 different names in that song. Let alone from Genesis to Revelations, or Revelation, singular, how many different titles Jesus Christ himself covers in what he did for your and I salvation. Isn't that cool? Well, here we go. There's all kinds of, it's a massive list that some people have compiled. And if you can look in the different concordances, they even, some of them have more names or less names. But the list would take hours to read and to biblically prove that they were talking about Jesus Christ when they gave him those particular titles. And then back it up with, if you would, book, chapter, and verse. And some are spelled out literally and some apply spiritually. But without Jesus in the proper place in your mind, your heart, and your life, none of those names mean a thing to you. And that book that he's written about here, or the book he's talking about in uh, Revelation, the fifth chapter, doesn't have any information that'll help you if you don't know Jesus Christ. Amen? That's just the way it is. Isaiah said it this way, your eyes are closed. The book is sealed. There's nothing in it that will help you get to where you want to be. All right? That's the first thing you have to remember about the book of Revelation. It's either going to tell you about Jesus Christ, number one. Number two, it's going to be a picture of the church that Jesus built. He said he would build it in Matthew 16 and 18. I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. All of us know that scripture, right? Or at least heard it before. So it came into existence in Acts the second chapter on the day of Pentecost. You go there, you can read that. I hope you're writing all this down. That'll give you something to read when you get home tonight for a bedtime story. But it's a relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. Now when we say church, what does that name mean to you? We're not talking about a building because these buildings don't last very long. The oldest buildings in the, in the world that they call churches probably uh, maybe be two, three, four hundred years old maybe, but we're talking, this covers a span of from the beginning till the end. Amen? Now this building, I think what's it say outside? 1879 was built. This sanctuary that we're here, this building, 
Eh, so what? It's still not going to last that much longer. But we're going to keep it up and do as best we can. He's not talking about the building when he says church. What's he talking about? The church could take on two forms. I look at it as my salvation makes me a member of the church. Okay? That's biblical. I don't have time to go into all that. And then the Bible also says that when saints come together or Christians come together or the redeemed come together or any name you want to add to it or the born again or whatever, when they come together, it forms the church. All right? So here we call ourselves Faith Christian Fellowship. That's the church we represent by the people that sit in the pews. Because when uh, I'm done here and everybody sings a song, smiles, and says, see you next week, and leaves, the building's still here. But the church is gone. You and I are the church. All right? As we walk in what God says. So when I say the second thing the book of Revelation covers is not only Jesus, it covers his church individually or collectively. Don't matter. They're going to be tied together. And they're all tied to Jesus Christ and the spiritual relationship that we call being born again in John the third chapter. You can read about it. And when we become new creations, we can see that in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Rob talked about it in Sunday school this morning. Then all of these will continue till Jesus' second coming. How about that? Amen? So, the first thing is it's about Jesus. The second thing is it's about the church, whether individually or collectively. And the third thing, this revelation or this vision is going to give you wide open eyes about is the enemy that's against Jesus Christ and against his church, whether it's you individually or whether it's us collectively. Amen? So the revelation will also show us the battles that Christians will face as they live from spiritual birth to physical death. Amen? Now that's what the book of Revelation was written to cover. This will include the involvement of the devil of the world that around us is trying to hinder God's people from being successful in fulfilling God's will in their lives right here on earth. Now, I want to say this, and I know this, if you've been to um, too many churches that talked on the Revelation, you're probably not going to understand this, but there's nothing in the book of Revelation beyond Jesus' second coming. I know they teach a rapture after that, a millennial after that, tribulation after that, and on and on and on. That's not biblical. It won't hold water in God's word. But now we get into verse 1, and we see that this is uh, a book written. Now, what's this book all about? We've got to find out. And we see this book, and it's written within and on the back side. So, first of all, all the book was written with Jesus in mind, if you would, because it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. In John, the first chapter, verse 1. All right, let me give you that real quick because i got a thumb index. You know, get me there in a heartbeat. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, he's speaking there of Christ. You read on down through here, you'll understand that. But the Word or the book that was written was about Jesus Christ. Remember? That's number one. You have to remember that. Drop down to verse 14 in that same chapter. And it says, And the Word was made flesh. You see, Jesus existed before he was born of Mary because he's part of the Trinity of God. He was there in the beginning. It says so, verse 1. Amen? Even in Genesis 1, when he talked about in the beginning, when they made man, they made man in our image. That's plural. God, God was there, Christ was there, and the Holy Spirit was there when they took Genesis 1-1 into consideration. So here we have the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We know who that was, wasn't it? John says he dwelt right with me. I walked with him. We got in the boat together. Amen. I climbed mountains beside him. I went into the church buildings with him. I was there. We dwelt together. We sat down and had lunch together even. And even went through, if you would, the ceremonial Passovers together. Amen. John knew him because he was made flesh. So here we find that in that, even though he came in a virgin birth as God's only begotten son, he was still here and had an earthly ministry teaching his literal example for the space of about three and a half years, and then he left this earth. All right? Now, everything God wants us to know about Jesus Christ is written in the Word of God. Amen? You got any questions about Jesus? It's all right here. Everything, now it may not all be there, but it's all there that God wants you to know. Enough is there that you can find a relationship with your Heavenly Father. That's what's important. Amen? So uh, we find here that he's talking about this and he's talking here that Christ was written in the Word of God. Amen. Now, I want you to understand something here because it says that it was written, the book was written within... What's that mean? And on the back side. Well, I'm going to explain that to you. All right? I want to guide you through that. So... When we talk about what was written within about Jesus Christ, we're talking about the New Testament. Did you know that? That's what he says when he says within, because that's where Christ walked. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in the first chapter of Acts, Jesus was right there walking right beside those fellows that were writing those Gospel stories. All right. Of course, the day of Pentecost, he went back home, and 40 days later, the Holy Spirit came. That's what he means when he says that Jesus Christ is written within the Word of God. All right? But remember, it also says it's written on the backside. Ah, so it's, he's written within in the New Testament. What do you think's on the backside of the life of Christ? Oh, the Old Testament. Do you know that time and time again in the Old Testament, God was speaking through the people or the prophets or the kings or the judges or whatever 
and was revealing to them there's coming a redeemer that'll save you from your sins and he's coming is a future coming for all mankind and he was referring to his son Jesus Christ amen actually if you want to read the book of Hebrews that whole book is written if you would to get us thinking spiritually if you would how to get from the Old Testament to the New Testament why they did this in the Old Testament and what that means to us in the New Testament. Amen? That's what that book shows. It's the transition that takes place. Well, we know what Jesus was doing in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. He was setting up a sacrifice for your sins and my sins. And we found out that Jesus became the sacrificial lamb for your sins and my sins in 1 Peter do, 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 do. First chapter, verse 18 and 19. For as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold. You can't buy salvation. I don't care how much silver and gold you got, you can't buy it. It's not for sale. Amen? How do you get it? From your vain conversations received by the traditions of your father. But, verse 19 says, what's but mean? On the other hand, with the precious blood of Christ as a, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Amen. That's what Jesus Christ means to us. Now we know why it's written within and on the back side. And we found out why it's sealed with seven seals. Amen. You know not everybody knows Jesus. Oh, that's something, isn't it? Have you ever heard anyone say, I'm glad God didn't show me what he wanted to be when I got saved 20, 30, 40 years ago. Amen. I sure have. Amen? As a matter of fact, I've even testified of that myself. Now that I've been saved going on 47 years walking with Christ, I'm glad God didn't show me the day I got saved everything I'm going to face in the next 47 years. All the trials, all the temptations, all the heartaches, all the ups and all the downs, it probably would have scared me to death and I probably would have tucked my tail between my legs and ran and hid like a whoop puppy dog. Right? Amen. My reason for obeying the gospel and giving my life to Christ was not to be a senior pastor in 1975. That's when I got saved. I had no idea what it would take to be a senior pastor 46 plus years ago. Amen. It was a gradual step by step by step, day in, day out, month after month, year after year, and God just kept calling and moving in my life that's brought me here. And now I'm ready to retire and let somebody else pick up the mantle and move on for him. Amen? Somebody younger, smarter, and uh, more energy or whatever you want to say. Uh, whoever's better than me, I'm glad they'll be able to step up and take over. 
But I want you to know, if in 1975 he'd have told me all the things, if he'd have given me the same vision he gave John and showed me all the things I'm going to face before I leave this earth, I probably would have never got up from the altar. I probably would have just stayed right there. Amen? I personally have an entire list of negative events and setbacks over the last four plus decades of serving God. And now, if God lets me live any longer, I want to serve him no matter what life's circumstances bring. I've already settled in my heart. Amen. I wasn't saved hardly any time until I went through a divorce. Amen. If you've been through that, man, that can be bad. Amen. All right. But I, I've been there. But God has blessed me. And, and I remarried. I got a, a woman that wanted to serve God. And now 43 years into that marriage, she's still kicking me down the road, keeping me going. Amen. Amen. So no matter what comes, I even counted one time how many jobs I lost starting with when I got saved till up to date. And I, of course, I'm retired now, so I don't, they can have them all. I don't care. But I think I had to start over in an occupation to feed my family and have a job nine times. Whew. Seems like a lot to me. Amen. For me to look back and see where God brought me from and where he's placed me now, blessed me in the kingdom of God is nothing less than a multitude of miracles. That's the way I see it. No other way could I have got to here from there unless God's Holy Spirit had not smacked me around, kept me in line, showed me where I need to be, taught me what I needed to know, and get me there. It's kind of like going to college. You know, you go through high school. Man, that was easy. I mean, I, mean, I think I went through high school, maybe took a book or two home in the 12 years I was in school. I just didn't care about that. I didn't like reading that much. And it was just, it was taking up my time. I wasn't having time to play football or run around or do what I wanted to do. Amen. Then I went to Ohio State University. Whoa. Was that an eye opener? Amen. Now, when you go there to college and you want to learn a subject, those subjects sometimes can be complicated no matter what field you choose to go into. And so when they get you in there, they give you the beginner's courses. Amen. You don't learn all the hard stuff the first year. They give you the easy stuff to learn. And after you catch on to that and you pass that course, you go from 101 to 102 and then to 103. And as you grow in your college experience there, you advance to different levels as you learn and go. And you're serving, if you would, that college learning day by day there. And it's the same way when you serve God. It's a day by day experience. Amen? The old saying is, inch by inch, it's a cinch. Yard by yard, it's hard. Amen? J.C. Penney. I know you all like to shop in his store if you can get there when they open because they don't open till 11 anymore. I don't know why. My, they made my wife mad Saturday by not opening early enough. 
But J.C. Penney has known by the statement the hardest part of any job is getting started. Huh. Well, no wonder. As soon as you decide to give your heart to Christ, the devil and the world show up and try to pull you backwards. Amen. Because once you've got it under control and started down that path, it's harder for them to pull you back. The farther you go, the better it's going to be. Now, for me, that really explains why God sealed the book with seven seals. It is so we don't become, uh, or don't become overwhelmed, if you would, by the process of salvation and give up too early. Amen. Now, I know all of us probably at one time or another thought, oh, this is getting tougher and tougher day by day. I need to jump off. And actually, there are some of us that know people that started out and really did well for a while. And they're not in the race any longer. Somehow or another, they found an exit ramp and took it and went to a different place. Amen. But I want you to know there are things that we can do and master, just like going to college and taking the beginning courses. Now, if I'd have went there to take on computers, that might have been good. Amen. Yeah. I know how to turn it on. I know how to Zoom. I know how to email and text. And I can even play solitaire. But after that, I'm done. And if it doesn't do what I want it to when I click that button, I turn it off and call somebody. I don't want to break it, so I call somebody that knows what they're talking about. Amen. When it comes to washers and dryers, amen. It's hard for me to say how many of them I've even owned. Or, being a Sears employee and in-home service repairman, how many of them I've worked on. That was not my field. But when they had a problem in washers and dryers, they needed a helping hand to maybe move them or carry them or do the heavy lifting, they'd call on old chain hoist dude, and he'd go help the guys in washers and dryers. I picked up a little bit. I know a little bit about them, but I'm still not. I don't have a master's degree in laundry yet. And if it came down to it, I probably couldn't figure out how to wash my own socks. I'd have to call Joe and have him teach me. But nonetheless, I'd need a crash course even to get through those things. All right, but that brings me to this point. God has a place for everyone in the kingdom of God. But we're not all preachers. We're not all teachers. We're not all pastors. We're not all everything. And I have to say we're not all singers because I've heard some of you and myself in the shower. I believe many of us could be, but it might be 30, 40, 50 years down the road as God leads you because it took me about 37 years of getting to where I needed to be as a senior pastor. Amen. We need to remember that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Amen? 
So when we get into the things that we need to do, we need to understand the seven seal courses that God gives us, if you would, that qualifies us. Many times God wants us to get a degree in ministry by sending us through the school of hard knocks. Amen? Amen. I got calluses on my hands, and I remember where just about all of them came from. Amen? The hard work and doing what I needed to do. Amen. But, and we need to understand, I've watched over the past decades of those that took the road and quit on God just as they were about to bloom where God had planted them. Amen. So don't give up too early because God could still use you in some of those situations. I can also testify with all my experiences in the kingdom work and all my study of the book, which includes the study of Jesus Christ. You know Jesus Christ is the book he's talking about here? Okay. So that includes not only reading the book, but reading and studying about Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And that I still do today. Amen. God sheds light in my path as I study the Word of God in everything that I do and all the subjects, and that enhances my understanding of what the book has to say and the knowledge I need in my life to live out the life God wants me to live. And then when I live the life God gives me, there are others watching. And they look at me and say, man, Look how he's doing. And look at me. I'm living right here beside him, and I'm struggling, and he's just whistling Dixie and going right through that. Well, I've already been through the hard knocks. I've already got the calluses, and I can move forward in what God has for us. Amen? Mark it down. I'm still learning. Amen? But at least now, the book is open to me, and God reveals truth to me as I study what's in there. Well, how are we doing so far? Got through one verse. Verse 2. That only took about 45 minutes. All right, it says, John in his vision saw a strong angel. Now, they use the word angel in here, but an angel in biblical or spiritual speaking could be an angelic something with a halo and big wings and floating around on the clouds, plunking on their harps. Could be that. But for the most part, and you read it in the context where it's written, it just means a messenger. Could be a preacher. Could be a teacher. Could be anyone that has the authority to speak for God in that position. Okay? That's what an angel is. And here, in verse 2, he said, I saw a strong angel. Wow. He must have big lungs and really could beller it out. I don't know what he means by strong, and I'm sure it's not meaning he could bench press over 400 pounds. I mean he had a strong voice, or he had a way of propelling the message. Angel means messenger. The message that he wanted to proclaim. It says he proclaimed it with a loud voice. See, to be a preacher, you don't have to have a big mouth, but it helps. Amen? It helped me anyway. But here we find that when we're talking about this book that we're uncovering here, it could be the messenger, it could be anybody that's proclaiming or yelling or saying uh, 
emphatically with a loud voice this question. Here's the question. Who is worthy to open the book? Now, when you think of seals, I know a lot of people think of uh, some kind of padlock on it or some kind of silicone that filled in all the cracks and you can't get it open. The seal here just is a, a word, spiritually speaking, that God uses to say you don't have the understanding yet. I'm going to give it to you, and when I give you that understanding, guess what? The seal's off. Now, this one's got seven seals on it. So there's going to be seven times, if you would, that these seals need to be opened to your understanding and my understanding. This is the way I understand it. You guys um, can have your own interpretation, if you would. The seven is a number he uses throughout this revelation because he wrote seven letters the seven churches in chapter 2 and chapter 3. Then we have the seven seals. They're opened in the 6th, 7th, and the first verse of chapter 8. All right? Then he has the seven trumpets. Then he has the seven vials of wrath that he pours out. So seven in this just seems to be the number he's chosen to tie it all together. Now, just because he wrote seven letters and because he has seven seals doesn't mean Seal number one relates to the letter number one or trumpet number one or vial number one because they all apply to everybody at all times. Okay? He numbered them and he used that, I think, as a detention getter to say, you haven't learned it all yet. I haven't and I'm still working on it. I still want to know more about what the Bible has to reveal to us. So here we are. We're looking for somebody now that's worthy to open the books or who has the knowledge, the background, the privilege of saying to us, this is Jesus Christ and this is what I want you to know about Jesus Christ. Amen. I've heard many people stand and proclaim that they had the answers about the book. But this messenger wants to know, are you worthy? Well, the only one worthy is Jesus Christ. A lot of us have a lot of ideas, and there's probably not a more confusing book to understand if you just read it literally and listen to as many preachers as are on the radio or wherever, you know, whatever churches you go to or whatever. But I want to hear it from the one that's worthy to open it and give us all the understanding. Amen? That's why when you buy something, I don't care what it is, if it's a hedge trimmer or a refrigerator or a new car, you'll always find an owner's manual comes with it. Amen? Why? That's to help you get a grip on how you're supposed to use that thing. Now, as a Sears employee that went from house to house fixing things that people bought at Sears, it didn't work right, I don't know how many times I've asked them, do you have the owner's manual? <sighs> no. Well, if you had just read the first page or two, I wouldn't be here, and you would know how to use what you bought. Amen? Because they ignore the owner's manual. That's the same as saying, I don't need the book. I just want to follow Jesus the way I see him. No, the book gives you the knowledge 
an understanding of what Jesus is and how he wants you to follow him. Amen? So here we find 1 Corinthians 14 and 33. Let me just read that real quick. 1 Corinthians 14. It says, For God is not the author of confusion. You see, if you want to know what's in the book, why not go to the author? He's the one that wrote it. He should know what he's talking about. But of peace, and in, as in all the churches of the saints. Now he's talking there about spiritual gifts in this particular chapter in 1 Corinthians 14. But he says, man, we need to go to the author. You know why? Because a lot of people think they got the gifts. And they missed it all together. Amen? So if you want to know what's going on, why not go to the author? Just like you do when you read the owner's manual on the things that you understand. Amen? Then we can speak about uh, the priesthood of Jesus Christ in Hebrews, the fifth chapter. Let's see what he says there. Verse 8 through 10. Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Called of God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. You know, there's more about Melchizedek in the book, book of Hebrews than there is in the Old Testament totally Whew. because of Abraham paying tithes to Melchizedek, the king of Salem. You know what Salem means? The king of peace. You know what he was referring to? Jesus Christ. Amen. He's the king of peace. So if we're going to find out what's in the book, why not ask the author? Amen? Let me give you one more about the author. In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, a couple pages over in my Bible, it says that we, uh, wherefore we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Well, who are those witnesses? The whole chapter 11 of Hebrews is all about all the Old Testament people by faith did what God asked them to do. And now that we have this cloud of witnesses or all these faithful people that walk with God, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that's setting before us. Verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Whoa. So if you want to know how to do it, let's ask the author. Amen. I had a, a botany class at Ohio State University. And there was a book that was said I had to have and read before I came to class. I bought the book. I didn't bother reading it. But I got to class, and guess what? They were arguing over something that was in the book. And finally, the professor said, guys, slow down. I, but if I was you, I wouldn't argue about what's in that book because I'm the one that wrote it. That stopped all the arguments. And he could quote what they were fighting over and arguing over in the book because he wrote it. He knew every page in it. Amen. Now there are some people 
that have a, a filing cabinet at home and they put in all those owner's manuals of all the gadget they've bought for all the years they've lived there, yet they probably never read any of them. Amen? But even if they did, well, if they say they did, I probably doubt it, too many think that they can get by on common sense when it comes to the things of God. Common sense is good. It'll get you in out of the rain if you don't have an umbrella. But when it comes to knowing about Jesus Christ and what he has for us in our spiritual walk with God, we need to have the book, Jesus Christ, tell us himself where we need to be. Amen. I have found out the common sense is just not that common anymore. Amen. Now, my wife and I, we drive a 2021 Honda CRV. Wow. She loves her car. Amen. Heated seats. Can you imagine that? Amen. Isn't that great? And I'm not even sure, and she's not even sure, what all the buttons on the steering wheel even mean. I have no idea what they're for. I mean, there are buttons on the left, right, in the middle, up and down, and I have no idea what they're for. Now, I'm sure if I'd take time and read the owner's manual, I could learn that. Well, I'm busy doing other things, you know, speeding and, and moving on. I ain't got time to worry about those, let alone all the buttons all over the dashboard and on the consoles. And, and I ain't got time for all that. I just want to get from here to there. And so far, for 14,000 miles, we've done that. Amen. So here we go. But we look at verse number 3, and we find here that no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. What's that mean? No one else was worthy except Jesus Christ. That's what we were looking at. Amen? For our search for the one that's worthy to open the book and loose the seals, he says, no man. Well, at this point, Jesus Christ is no longer a man. Jesus Christ is sitting on the right hand of the Father in heaven. Amen? The Bible makes that clear to us. He's in heaven. You have to understand when he says no man in heaven, you have to understand now. How many heavens are there? Three heavens. So you have to leave it in its context and understand that if it's a man in heaven, it has to either be in the sky or either in the church. One of the two. Because the third one's where God lives, and nobody's ascended to that one yet except Christ. Okay? Then he says, no one else, what's it say in the scripture there? Neither in earth. Doesn't say on earth. It says in earth. You know why he says that? Because you and I are earthen vessels. We're made out of dirt. You, know, you knew that, didn't you? We all come from dirt, and we're all going to go back to dirt. It's no big deal. You ain't worth as much as you think you are. Amen. We're just mud puddles walking around till God calls us home. Now, that's, we laugh about it. But in reality, he says it's in earth. Amen. When he prayed, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hey, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth. Right here, right in your heart. In earth, not on earth. 
because he says those are what it's going to be to have those that are in earth is uh, to say that they're not on earth or in other words we're just human beings and what we will actually operate on if we look think of how God wants us to operate as human beings we'll, go, we'll revert back to our common sense we won't go for the spiritual side of it and he says neither those that are under the earth no one that's lived before us and passed on and is buried. None of their testimonies. They may be good ones. They may be helpful, but they can't tell us about Jesus Christ. Only Jesus himself can do that because he's worthy. Amen? So, uh, verse 4, John states that he began to start crying a whole lot. I wept much because no man was found worthy to open the book and read there and to read the book neither to look thereon so he had upset him how am I going to get the understanding how am I going to learn what's in the book amen I, the, the worst I, I hate about old people passing on is all the knowledge they've gained disappears with them amen but that's not true of this one because we found a person that's worthy to open the book, loose the seals, and let us see what's in it. Amen? So he began to cry about it a lot because no one fit the bill, the requirements to open the book and see what it stands for and how, find out what's in it that he could learn. Amen? So in verse 5, quit crying, John. One of the elders... I, th I find that laughable when I read that one of the elders because John's pushing 90 years old here. The word elder means older. Someone that was older than John. And he's wrote this in AD 96. So he's probably pushing the mid-80s towards 90 years old himself, history teaches us. All right? So here we find one of the elders, someone that's even older than him, says, don't cry going to be okay. Why? Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. You know who that is? The root of David. You know who that is? He's prevailed to open the book and loose the seven seals thereof. Amen? So when we find him saying don't cry about it we know somebody that's worthy of opening it it's the lion of the tribe of Judah it's the root of David you know what those are again that's just a couple more names for Jesus Christ and what he did for your my salvation now why would he want the Holy Spirit want him to write down why didn't he just say Jesus has prevailed Jesus Christ prevailed and opened the seals why would he use the terms lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David? Well, he wrote it still in the first century. And most of the people that were going to read this book in the first century to understand his, his vision here were Jewish people. They were the people of God. They were God's chosen people. And those terms, the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David, are all Old Testament terms describing the coming Messiah Jesus Christ so it 
opened their eyes a little wider, especially a lot more wide, wider than the people that Isaiah was speaking to because they'd already closed their eyes. And now they understand what Jesus Christ means to them because he prevailed. We know what that means. He overcame to open the book and loose the seven seals thereof. So we have it. He's prevailed. He's triumphed. He's gained the victory. He has earned the right to take the book and open it and give us understanding and application to the concepts that are within the book because he is the book. He's not only the author, he is the book itself. He wants us to gain the knowledge within the book so the seals are now loosed and the book, Jesus Christ, is open to whosoever will that can come to him for a personal relationship with their heavenly father. Amen? Now to read about this seal loosening process, we're going to have to read and study the whole rest of this chapter, all chapter 6, all chapter 7, and the first verse in chapter 8. That's where the seventh seal was opened, and there was silence in heaven about the space for half hour. Okay? Now all of that would be what he loosened the book to teach us about Jesus Christ. Amen? So I'm not going to teach that much. It took me an hour to get through these five verses. If I go through three more chapters, we're going to miss the Bengals game. We don't want to do that, do we? Amen. But it's all open now. It'd be several messages and many future dates that we'd have to go through to understand why Jesus loosed all these seals. But for this morning, but for now, we need to focus on Jesus Christ and our daily experience and walk with him. Amen? We need to have an experience with the book, with the author, with Jesus Christ, as well as what he teaches later in this vision, the two witnesses that Jesus left as our teachers and guides. Who are the two witnesses? His word and his spirit. They will guide you into all truth. Amen. So, let's unseal the book, demonstrate to the world around us so that they can be blessed with the salvation the book wants them to share and love and be blessed by as we are. It's important that we do it his way. Amen? We need to put him in our heart and listen to his Holy Spirit, read his word, and walk in the dictates that God gives us. And then we'll have the privilege of being the child of God God wants us to be. And remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy, just worth it.